Hello everyone and welcome to HY Dyslexia Podcast. And I can't wait to start speaking to Dr. Adela Adelheim, founder and CEO of Lovers for Action. She also does a lot of academic work and I just feel that it's so great to have her on our podcast today to talk about dyslexia and leadership and why dyslexics make great leaderships as well as some of the challenges that dyslexics go through. Now, Dr. Andy, welcome to HY Dyslexia Podcast. Give me a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of a background as to who you are and what, why you do the job you do. Thank you so much. It's really lovely to be here. Um, so I guess I'm kind of a quite a unique individual um, with what I do and how I do it. So I'm a mixed heritage um, black woman from a working class council estate. Um, I grew up in quite a deprived area. I was a young carer. And I think that had a great impact on what I did and how I did it because as a young carer, you spend most of your time hiding yourself, pretending that everything is okay. And on the one occasion I asked for help, I wasn't believed, I was ignored. And I think that kind of experience, being in trouble, needing help and not having voice, led me to really wanna hear the voices of most marginalized individuals. Um, and I've always kind of fought for the voice and representation of those who are really at the edge of society. Um, my brain is unusual. So I have dyslexia and ADHD, and it me means that I'm a very creative and unique type of thinker. My brain's very atypical. Um, I can see things that others don't see. I can think and solve problems that other people can't solve, and I'm great in a crisis which is one of the things that led me to disaster management um, and engineering. So I kind of have that belief of wanting to get people's voices heard and knowing that there were certain things that I could do, problems that I could solve. So I kind of combined the two and then how to get people's voices heard in the most complex and critical of situations. So those really tough kind of environments post-conflict countries, during disasters, how do you hear from the most vulnerable and how do you make sure that their voices are heard and recognised? And to me, you know, the dyslexic brain is always solving problems and seeing connections. So that was a fascinating problem to solve. And that kind of led me onto studying accountability and charities and how they work and how do you hear the voices of people, which led me to my PhD and then to doing research in the UK. So when were you diagnosed with dyslexia? Was that sort of from a young age? Not until I was doing my PhD. So I'd done a master's of research, the MRES, and I'd done a postgraduate diploma in youth and community work. I had a degree in engineering and disaster management, but it wasn't until like 2010. So about 10 years ago, went around about the age of 31, 32, that I was diagnosed. And that was during my PhD because I'd coped up until that point and well I say I'd coped I think I'd always known I was dyslexic I worked I taught myself it was like a problem how to use my brain so I taught myself in different ways I taught I studied for exams by listening to um, I used to make tapes of like in preparing in preparation for my exams and used to listen to them rather than studying notes I'd learned how to use kind of color coding I taught that to myself 
and I coped. Um, I think at a very young age, it was suggested that I might be dyslexic, but coming from a West Indian family, my dad never wanted me to get diagnosed or to be tested, so I never was. And it was only really during the PhD where it just became too much. In your PhD, you're, you're expected to read so much and manage so much data that my normal coping mechanisms couldn't cope, and I decided it was time to seek out help and to get an assessment. Once you got the diagnosis, how did it make you feel? I think it answered a lot of questions. So I remember um, when I went back in for my test results, they, I kind of went to go and get my test results from the diagnosis and they were like, oh my God, we've all been talking about your results. This is like the most extreme results we've ever seen because I'm severely dyslexic when it comes to sim symbolic interpretation. I can't analyze symbols or, you know, visualize um, patterns, but I'm exceptionally fast at problem solving and puzzles and calculations, maths, I'm exceptionally fast at. So that real difference between different types of intelligence, they'd never seen it so extreme. So. So I think like my IQ is in the top one or two percent for certain things and in the bottom one or two percent for others. So they were like, how, how is this possible? <laughs> you know, so that real extreme. Um, so there's just certain things I can't do, but I compensate by being really good at other things. So I just I think differently. I mean, I think as dyslexic individuals, we have to learn how our Pacific brain works and what our limitations and challenges are and it's different from every dyslexic individual mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah so right oh so I, I did say to our listeners that it's going to be one of the most amazing podcasts because when I found it, when I met you and I read about like the kind of work you've done and I was really gobsmacked I was blown away and I was thinking listen you're such an inspirational person from so many different angles in the fact that, you know, a young black woman or men can look up and say, well, Dr. Aidy's done it. It wouldn't have been easy, but she's there and she's done it. She's a doctor and she's doing all this work. How do I aspire to be? Now, obviously, we are sponsored by Black Thrive and Black is um, an organisation in Lambeth that supports, um, uh, you know, black-led organisations. And um, I just think it's, it's such a privilege to have you here and speaking about your dyslexia journey and how... Anybody who's listening or who will be listening would take a leaf out of that book and say, well, actually, maybe I can, instead of maybe being, being told that, look, you're dyslexic and you're not ever going to amount to anything. So there is definitely a possibility there. In some ways, it's nice to be called an inspiration. In some ways, I find it quite painful um, because I'm so rare that I don't think that's something that we should be celebrating. There should be more people like me and it should never be as hard as it's been. So I don't want this to be a story to model or practice. It should never be this hard. And I think we need to keep that in mind. I think sometimes we minimise the challenges, make it sound like it's we just have to try harder or we just have to do more. And actually, we probably shouldn't. The system needs to be changed. We need better support. We need things to be more inclusive. We need the institutions not to make us feel fearful like it should never be this hard. It's not a positive thing that I'm one of so few. We need to kind of, we should be ashamed at how few dyslexic people make it through or how many black individuals make it through. And that needs to be addressed. And that's something that 
you know, can be inspirational to other dyslexic people, but I think it's also a word of warning to institutions and organisations who just aren't doing enough, who need to make it easier, who need to make it more accessible. Of course, yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Ed. I'm going to go straight to my first question. So, what do this? Why, why rather, not what? Why do dyslexics make great leaders and CEOs? Um. So, I think, like I said, from a very long, young age, I've realised that my brain just works differently to other individuals. So, with the visual reasoning and the ADHD, things like. You know, those types of sports where you have to catch the ball. I can't do that. I can't drive. I can't, you know, I'm clumsy to the extreme. There's certain things that are just so challenging for me. I'm slow at reading. I'm slow at writing. It's a painful process, which I hate. But it's almost like the information takes a long time to get to my brain from my eyes. But once it's in my brain... I am so good at making connections and links and seeing patterns. I can pick up on things that other people don't see. So having such a unique brain makes us so creative and innovative. It's We can see the answers that nobody sees, and that's such a gift. It's not one that I would exchange just to be better at driving or less clumsy. Yes, I would like to be better at driving or less clumsy, but I think the dyslexic advantage is so special and unique and it's such a privilege to be a dyslexic individual and to see the world so differently it's like this beautiful gift that we can see the world in this way um and i don't think you know people talk about dyslexia like it's an inhibiting factor yes if the world isn't adapted it's a social model of disability we have an impairment which makes things harder but we're actually disabled by the world, not adapting to us. Disabled and dyslexic children need education systems that work for them. They need to learn in a way that works for them, be given the support that they need. And then they can utilize, you know, not be limited by their challenges, but utilize the gift that is dyslexia. Um, the creativity, the innovation is so powerful. Um, and I think we need to kind of focus on that more on what a blessing this is, particularly for leadership roles, just being able to think, you know, I can be sat in a room with 100 people and there could be a puzzle, you know, and 90 of those will come up with, you know, the answer is A. Maybe another eight will come up with the answer is B. Then another one will come up with the answer is C. And then I'll come up with the answer is 5.4. You know, I just see things differently and I can work it out. I'm just in a completely different direction. And I don't want to be like everybody else. And that's what makes me a leader is owning my difference um, and utilising it. And to be honest with you, the reason why HYD6 was set, was set up was because, you know, I didn't really fit in, in the corporate world. And um, I don't want to do it like how everybody else is doing it. And I, you know, 100% go with you that we do make great leaders and great CEOs. The ideas are just absolutely phenomenal, what we can come up with and, and, and how we can, we can make a change in the world. And, and I feel very privileged to be part of the CEO boards and the leaderships and everybody else that am making a great change, you know? So um, thank you so much for answering that question. I'm gonna jump straight onto my second question, which, um, what challenges have you faced as a dyslexic and leadership roles and how have 
have you overcome these challenges? I'm, I know it's two, two questions in one. I can break it out or I can maybe leave it, you know, the way it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I make errors, as you well know. I misread things. I am slow at certain things. To be quite honest, all of the things that are a disadvantage or a challenge can be overcome. So the quite often because you know people say oh you can't become an academic or you can't become a leader because you can't get this right you know I will never write a document where my commas are in the right places and every full stop is perfect and I haven't made a spelling mistake I've tried so hard and in my whole lifetime I've never achieved that once but do you know what the spell check and there is software to help you and at a certain level you can hand over these kind of executive functions. I can get somebody else to manage my diary. I can get somebody else to check and proofread my work. I can delegate my kind of basic work. But the bits of genius, the bits of creativity, that's the type of stuff that people really do value in leadership. The stuff that I can't do is not required as a leader. That's the delegatable stuff. So, you know, there are challenges, there's certain things that I can't do, but when you, you need to kind of be able to raise above that and it, life gets easier because you can delegate all of that out and hands it all out to somebody who's good at the attention to detail. You know, what people are paying for me for and what they seek me out for is that creativity, innovation, ability to solve problems and connect. So I think that's kind of, you know, how I've overcome I've used software, I've used adaptive technologies before I could afford to do otherwise. And when I could afford to do otherwise, I delegate. Awesome. And that's how I've done it in the past, to be honest. I was just saying the bits I can't do aren't that important. It would be, there's certain careers that I should not do. I should never be an accountant or a bookkeeper. I try doing my own for a little while. I get my numbers back to front. I put Dot. And, you know, with banking and accounting, that's really important, but that's not the career for me. <laughs> so I think it's about being selective of your skills and expertise and not trying to force yourself into doing something that doesn't work for you. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. 100% agree with you. And of course, like you said, you know, delegate, give it to someone who can. So if anybody's listening and of course, you know, you're thinking of going to start your own business or maybe you're a leader in, in, and you want to go for a leadership role you know dyslexia adhd dyspraxia dyscalculia go for it do it because like dr Andy said you can always delegate you know the ones that you you're not um confident in doing and i'll be really honest with you there are people out there that their passion is to become you know a pa or executive um, assistant or whatever maybe that's what they are very good at and you can find someone to compliment that and on your way you're really on your way if, if that can be um, met in the right place super and fantastic you set up your own business um dr Andy. so ladders for action is about connecting knowledge and action so what we try and do is connect knowledge and action in practical inclusive and ethical ways so i do what's called action research and that's really research that informs practical real life significant problems and i do that in real in the real world with live issues such as looking at discrimination in the nhs or gender in universities so how do you solve those kind of really tough problems in a really practical way um so ladders for action we do that we connect activists 
to the knowledge and research that they need. We connect researchers to activists who can utilize their knowledge. We do that connection. We also create knowledge um, and create research and really kind of highlight those issues in a really practical way. It's really important that anybody that's listening and wants to pursue a career in academia or research, what advice would you give to them? Okay. So when it comes to academia and research, it actually gets easier the higher up you go. I know that sounds very counterintuitive, but at a bachelor's level, you're really learning your subject area. So there's a lot of memorization and kind of writing verbatim involved. That's actually quite difficult for dyslexic individuals. At a master's level, you're doing kind of more critical thinking, dissection of research, analysis of research. And that actually is a bit easier for us rather than that dependence upon memory and, you know, the detail of writing. It's more about that critical mind, which I think comes more easy to dyslexic individuals. And at a PhD level, that's where we really kick into our own. Because although we're handling a lot of data at PhD level, you're actually getting assessed on your contribution to knowledge. So your ability to create new knowledge that no one's ever created before. And that's completely in our wheelhouse. Innovation, creativity, the construction of new knowledge is what dyslexic people, in my experience, are all about. So part of my advice would be is to don't give up or be disparaged by negative experiences earlier on. It will get easier the higher up you go. And actually, the PhD is the most aligned to the dyslexic mind, I feel, although there are challenges. And I think the other thing is not to be afraid of asking or not even asking for support, claiming the support and access that you are entitled to as a disabled individual. So there seems to be, particularly in academia, this type of shame or embarrassment about dyslexia. But it is a disability and there are significant support, um, mentors, adaptive software that will make your life so much easier for virtually every problem we face. Like having a, I have a terrible memory. I have a database with over 4,000 articles on it, which I utilize because I can't remember. You don't have to remember at PhD level. Utilizing a screen cover to tint the color of my screen, utilizing Grammarly, you know, there's so many things that can capture and help all of those challenges. I mean, I listen to most articles. I upload it and I listen an audio version, even to like academic journals I will listen to on my reader. Like That shouldn't be a barrier or an inhibitor to your experience. There is software pretty much that will capture everything. But you need to be able to have the confidence to ask. You need to not fear the embarrassment of being recognized as a dyslexic person. And then really, if you get past those technicalities, then the way that the depth you go into in a PhD, the way you're expected to create connections and networks and problem solve, is absolutely in our wheelhouse. It's the most beautiful thing to have time to think in that way and to be allowed that creativity of thought, which you just don't get at bachelor's or master's level. The PhD is a unique experience and something quite special. And actually it shouldn't be as daunting as it is for a dyslexic individual. So just stick with it. Yeah, thank you so much for that. It's just when you hear the word PhD, you think, oh, you know, you're looking at like a, a big I know. <laughs> that you need to produce and people do get a bit put off. Don't get me wrong, there are challenges. You do have to work with it, but it's entirely possible. 
Dr. Adi, thank you so much for coming on to HY Dyslexia podcast. We are so, so, so happy and privileged to have had you, have you here today speaking about um, dyslexia and leadership. Um, I wanted to say thank you very much to Black Thrive Lambeth for sponsoring our podcast. Uh, a very massive thank you to Yola for producing this podcast for us and making it all sound great before it hits the um, ACAST platform and so forth. And I also want to thank our listeners for the time that they have to listen to our podcast and give us feedback in any shape or form. Dr. Aidy, is there anything you wanted to say before we go? Um, just thank you for listening and thank you for the important work you're doing. Like, it's really important that we overcome these stereotypes and assumptions, particularly related to dyslexia and racialized identities. Um, so thank you for letting me have the opportunity to speak and for challenging some of those things. Awesome. Thank you very much. And we'll see everybody next week. I know we'll see, we'll, we'll obviously be, have our podcast again. And we hope that, um, you know, to be here to record another topic, another day, another issue. Thank you very much. Bye-bye for now. Bye. For HY Dyslexia, any support that you need to do with dyslexia or dyspraxia or dyscalculia, you can reach us on www.hydyslexia.org.uk. This brings me to the end of our podcast. I want to say thank you very much. See you next week, same time, same place. The Aspire to Inspire Dyslexia podcast, All Things Dyslexia, is funded by Lambeth Black Thrive. It's presented by Elizabeth Tashi and is produced and distributed by Salt and Pepper Productions.